<laughs> take two. Oh, take two. That was an amazing start. A kind of a, a summary of 2022 in the first take of, of our effort to do the live stream. Nothing goes according to plan. Nothing goes according to plan. Yeah, well, let's see what 2023 is going to be like. Maybe at least something will go according to plan. Although, I don't know. My hopes are small. I think a few things might. My God. <laughs> oh, welcome. Well, yeah, welcome, might. everybody. So as you might have already realized, we don't really have a plan for today necessarily, but we are glad that some of you might be able to join us just to mess about and tell some bad jokes and maybe share some fun randomness. and yeah, randomness. But yeah. I think our Christmas specials always also have some serious stuff and stories of solidarity and kindness. So. I'm excited. So anybody who's coming in to join us, we're going to be here for an hour, just like hanging out and we're going to play some, a game too. I don't know if you have a game. I have a game to play. I have a game for you as well. And, uh, but it's, you know, every year, so, you know, Christmas special is obviously my favorite episode. That's the only reason I'm doing podcasts. So, that, mm. <laughs> so we can do the Christmas special then. And uh, now the truth is coming out. We, we, and you, you're like, you're always up in my games. You know, no matter how hard I try, you're always up in my game. So let's see what happens today. Also, just for the record, year two, I'm still waiting for my tin of cranberry sauce. <laughs> oh, from year two. Oh, no. Right? Where is I, it? I don't know what happened there. I made great sauce last year. Okay. It's going to happen. Okay. You, you just want the tin. Cool. You don't want the homemade. You just want a jelly tin. Yeah. Forget the homemade one. <laughs> I want the most kind of, uh, you know, one full of preservatives and like E element. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. Okay, then. Exciting. Um, you can make a note of that. I'm glad to see that. Yeah, I'm making a note. So let me introduce the game that I have to play. Okay, so it's like a, it's a long game. Okay, let's introduce a game. My it's game a long a game, game, but it's... So my game, wait, you talk for a sec because I have to load something up. Okay, this is serious. I'm not really worried. I have no idea what the game is. I had documents sent to me that you will need this later. And I actually wanted not to come. I, As I was walking down the street, I was coming up with many excuses for why I'm not going to make today's podcast. But I couldn't come up with a justifiable one. And so no, there is nothing that would have been justifiable. No, absolutely. It's, it's and so we'll game. see. It's only a game. Well, but I'm also very competitive, and this is the issue, right? As we all know. Yeah, that makes sense. What are the stakes? Tell us. It's going to be fine. The stakes? Oh, I don't know. Just, uh, just like pride, you know, the pride at stake. <laughs> don't get like a sticker at least or something if I win the game, you know. Okay, I'll get you a sticker. Or maybe I'll finally get you that, that tin of cranberry <laughs> jelly. Exactly. Oh, talking of Christmas and stickers, have you had your Christmas, non-Christmas card this year yet? Because it's in the post somewhere. Yes, thank you. I did. <laughs> My favorite type of non-Christmas card. All right, I'm still... Okay, I'm ready for the game. Still doing this thing later this is getting really serious. I know this. I'm just seeing. Okay, here we go. Oh, so. yeah. Okay, we can see it. 
Oh, All wow. Right, so I'm showing, okay. showing everybody. So this is the game. So, <laughs> <laughs> so for the for this for the next like 45 minutes that we're on here, we're gonna play a bit of disaster deconstructed Christmas bingo. So on this, so we have you and I have different sheets. Okay, so we have different okay. scrambles. Okay. And the objective of the game is for, like, when you when something gets said, we kind of complete com, complete our squares, right? Yeah. But your objective is to make me finish. My objective is to make you finish your bingo. So, right. So <laughs> if you shout bingo first, then I win. Got it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that means you're kind of trying to say as many as possible to make the squares fill up. Or like basically not complete your one because it's not going to be the same as mine. Lots of strategy involved. It's very complex. Oh my God, this is very complex. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It's really random. I made it up this morning. <laughs> anyway, so the origin. <laughs> yeah, I haven't frozen. I mean, my brain just frozen because I just noticed, I oh no, and that just threw me completely. I was taken away by Hugh Grant first, but Bono beat Hugh Grant, I think. Bono trumps Hugh Grant. <laughs> Okay, so anyway, just to explain a little bit more. So the things in quotation marks are, if that gets said, the exact phrase or, or word. Right. The red one is a reference to a person. And the orange ones are like stories about these things. So you have to tell like a little story or something about these things. <laughs> All right? All right. <laughs> okay. Everybody's got it? Play along with us. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so right. I think we need to urgently call JC to join this live stream. All right. You know, just to get a view of the of the squares cancelled. Okay. Well, I think I know what I'm doing. But you know what? It's actually quite nice because quite a few of, this, of the things on the bingo card. I was wondering, well, obviously we've got all these Christmas decorations out now. I mean, look at my amazing nutcracker. Since like September, right? Everything was out. And I was started thinking like, you know, why is the certain image of Christmas that it doesn't matter where you are, like whether you're in the Caribbean and Southeast Asia, right? In the Pacific, the image of Christmas is sort of the same, more or less. And so I decided to, to research because this is the only skill I have into this image of Christmas a little bit. And so I found this cool book by John Mundy called Christmas Ideology and Popular Culture. Um, I thought you were going to say, I thought you were going to start the bingo and be like, I found this book by Karl Marx. <laughs> I mean, I found this book that by Karl Marx. That would have been amazing. That would have been amazing. Way before I found the book by John Mundy. <laughs> but. <laughs> Go on, I mean, John Mundy. <laughs> there is, there isn't, you know, if you read the capital and if you read every second word of like every third page, you get, you get the story of the image of Christmas, of the, of the capitalist image of Christmas. Oh my goodness. Wow. Okay. This is going to be a good It's uh, a good start. This is a good yeah. start. So anyway. After John I read Carl, yeah, after Karl Marx, you know, I read uh -huh. John Mundy, who is kind of along the same line. So he wrote this book about Christmas ideology and popular culture. And so basically what I learned, and I don't know, maybe like you people know all about this, but I really didn't. 
So first of all, apparently Christmas Day only became a public holiday in Britain in 1834. And in the US, it became a national holiday in 1865. So it's, you know, it's pretty recent, right? It's like 150 years ago. And so, you know, the religious authorities, of course, were insisting that it should all be about, the holiday need to be about true meaning. But by the late 19th century, Christmas was kind of forgotten all about Christian spirituality. And it's the meaning that the states were trying to imply in the Christmas, you know, different countries, was a sentimental humanitarianism, which kind of saluted and celebrated family childhood and the extended family of the nation. And so Charles Dickens's short novel, A Christmas Carol, <laughs> um, which we have on our bingo sheet, I think, mm-hmm. is regarded as sort of seminal text, right, as a kind of construction of Christmas. And through, though it, its emphasis is on order of social hierarchies and their permissible inversion and centrality of the feast and celebration and, you know, the kind of visitation of dead souls and all of that. Echoes the pagan, I guess, and early Christian festival priorities, but also it reflects on the contemporary existence and experiences of Christmas. But even before Dickens, apparently Columbia College professor and anti-abolitionist Clement Clark Moore, he had created the modern Santa Claus from an amalgam of European ancestors in his 1823 narrative poem, A Visit from St. Nicholas. And then, <coughs> sorry, then these images were sort of reinforced further and further, and they started appearing in the London Illustrated News and in the Punch. So this pictorial representation of Christmas, you know, the kind of pictorial representation of Christmas cards started coming out more and more. And all the images were representation of like plentitude and you know, mm-hmm. familial conviviality and enchanted children, winter, snow, and other festive activities. And basically it stuck. So since Victorian times, nothing has changed and Coca-Cola reinforced it a bit more. And there we are. So, you know, 150 years later, we're still with the same visualization. Pretty cool, wow. huh? That is cool. Yeah, it's hard to break out of, but I mean, there there's lots of kind of counter narratives that are against like the very consumerist the way that that christmas narratives are used to just reinforce what people want to sell basically and tapping into people's like sense of familiarity with sure with the holiday right because you've got to be joyful right like you've got to be happy and the only way for you to be happy is to get more presents come on yeah yeah I mean, I I do that too. So we're all complicit, aren't we? Well, most no, people. No, for are. sure. Yeah. Yeah. So we're not. You didn't. I didn't tick any bingo squares, did you? I think you you mentioned Santa Claus. I mentioned Santa Claus for sure. Yeah. It's very difficult to talk and to do the bingo. Okay, so we cross out Santa yeah, Claus, sorry. right? Um, so I, like last. Okay. So last week when we were like. It might have been the weekend. Like the weekends at this fall have just been like crazy. I just kind of really busy on Saturdays and then trying to recover before work again, you know? Mm-hmm. And then there was a couple of weekends where Deborah was just like we wanting to decorate, you know, started December and in November even. And so I would just be like, Yeah, that sounds good. I'll just be like sitting around reading or something. <laughs> <laughs> Kids, you wanna decorate? And yet, and she just ends up doing most of the decorations. So I'm sorry, I'm so tired. 
but yeah but the, the anyway. tree looks amazing yeah it does and there's a little one in the hallway too so we have two different ones but there's a mistletoe in the dining room in the doorway oh. so yeah nice. you took yeah i think we're getting somewhere with bingo now aren't we by now we've got into into in, into the spirit of this although i'm still <laughs> i'm still wondering about bono you know that's just gonna haunt me now for the rest yeah of we it. i don't think we can just say the name we need to bring it into the discussion somehow Bono <laughs> yeah i mean that's pretty awesome well well why don't i tell you a, a joke or two oh wow you're telling jokes this year okay i'm ready for it. i mean i found some jokes i didn't make these up <laughs> i found some jokes okay uh, okay okay <laughs> they're kind of they're disaster jokes mostly not christmas jokes okay uh, is that okay Okay. This is what everybody's joining us for. It's a bad joke. Okay. <laughs> Here it comes. I accidentally swallowed some Scrabble tiles. Now I'm experiencing constant vowel movements. My next trip to the bathroom could spell disaster. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing, right? Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Very special, right? To another what, what, one? No, clearly not a natural disaster. You know? <laughs> Very unnatural. Very unnatural. Oh, okay. <clears throat> okay, here's a really bad one. Okay. My idea, my idea of starting a professional hide and seek tournament was a total disaster. Do you know why? Good players are hard to find. That's terrible. That's like it. Really bad dad no. joke. <laughs> no. <laughs> Didn't even get a laugh. Okay. I refuse to laugh. <laughs> oh, this is really bad. Okay, fine. Your hard, um, hard audience. The, the hard audience. Amazing joke. There's I, more I'm, where those I'm, came from. Oh, really? I mean, I have yeah. a joke for you, but I'll give you one and I'll save a couple for later. I've got Christmas jokes. Um, oh, nice. What do you call a child who doesn't believe in Santa? I don't know. What? A rebel without a clause. <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> that's, 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 that's a pretty good one. Oh, that's a great joke, isn't it? Talking yeah, of like children. So yes. I prepared a present for you. You know, I always prepare a kind of story present for what? you. It's a little bit of kind of a long story, so it might take me a few minutes to read, but it's a really nice one. And it's a Christmas story. So it's called The Beggar Boy at Christ's Christmas Tree. And it's, of course, by, so it's by Fyodor Dostoevsky. So you can already imagine that this is not going to be a happy ending. That name, you know, <laughs> really allows us to embrace Christmas, Christmas spirit. Um, okay. So anyway. Let me read you the story by Dostoevsky. It's one of his short stories, which kind of he, he didn't really write short fiction much, but so it's one, one of few. Okay. I'm a novelist, and I suppose I have made up the story. I write, I suppose, though I know for a fact that I have made it up. But yet, I keep fancying that it must have happened on Christmas Eve in some great town in a time of a terrible frost. I have a vision of a boy, a little boy, six years old or even younger, this boy woke up that morning in a cold, damp cellar. 
he was dressed in a sort of little dressing gown and was shivering with cold. There was a cloud of white steam cut from his breath and sitting on a box in the corner, he blew the steam out of his mouth and amused himself in his dullness watching it float away. But he was terribly hungry. Several times that morning, he went up to the plank bed where his sick mother was lying on a mattress, as thin as a pancake, with some sort of bundle under her head for a pillow. How had she come here? She must have come with her boy from some other town and suddenly fallen ill. The landlady who led the concerns had been taken two years before the police stations. The lodgers were out and about as the holiday was so near, and the only one left had been lying for the last 24 hours dead drunk, not having waiting for Christmas. In another corner of the room, a wretched old woman of 80, who had once been a ch children's nurse, but was now left to die friendless, was moaning and groaning with rheumatism, scolding and grumbling at the boy so that he was afraid to go near her corner. He had, he had got a drink of water in outer room, but couldn't find the crust anywhere and had been on the point of waking his mother a dozen times. He felt frightened at last in the darkness. It had long been dusk, but no light was kindled. Touching his mother's face, he was surprised that she didn't move at all and that she was as cold as the wall. It's very cold here, he thought. He stood a little, unconsciously letting his hands rest on the dead woman's shoulder. Then he breathed on his fingers to warm them. And then quietly fumbling for his camp on the bed, he went out of the cellar. He would have gone early, but was afraid of the big dog, which had been howling all day at the neighbor's door at the top of the stairs. But the dog was not there, and he went out onto the street. Mercy on us, what a town. He had never seen anything like this before. In this town from he had come, uh, in the town from he had come, it was always such black darkness at night. There was one lamp for the whole street. The little low-pitched wooden houses were closed up with shutters. There was no one to be seen in the street after dusk. All the people shut themselves up in their houses and there was nothing but howling all night. But there it was so warm and he was given food while here, oh dear, if he only had something to eat. And what a noise, a rattle here, what light and what people, horses and carriages and what a frost. The frozen steam hanging clouds over the horses, over their warmly breathing mouths, their hoofs clanging against the stone through the powdery snow and everyone pushed so and oh dear, how he longed for some morsel to eat. How he wretched, how wretched he suddenly felt. A policeman walked by and turned away to avoid seeing the boy. There was another street. Oh, what a wide one. Here he would run over for certain. How everyone was shouting, racing and driving along and the light, the light. And what was this? A huge glass window and through a window, a tree reaching up to the ceiling. It was a fir tree and on it, were ever so many lights, gold papers and apples and little dolls and horses. And there were children, clean and dressed in their best, running about the room, laughing and playing and eating and drinking something. And then a little girl began dancing with one of the boys. What a pretty little girl. And he could hear the music through the window. The boy looked and wondered and laughed, though his toes were aching with cold and his fingers were red and stiff, so that it hurt him to move them. And all at once, the boy remembered how his toes and fingers hurt him, and he began crying and ran on. And again, through another window pane, he saw another Christmas tree, and on the table, cakes of all sorts. Almond cakes, red cakes, a yellow cake. And three grand young ladies were sitting there, and they gave the cakes to anyone who went up to them, and the door kept opening. Lots of gentlemen and ladies went in from the street. The boy crept up, suddenly opened the door and went in. Oh, how they shouted at him and waved him back. One lady, went up, one lady went up to him hurriedly and slipped in kopeck in his hand. 
and with her own hands opened the door into the street for him. How frightened he was. And the Kopek rolled away and clinged upon the steps. He couldn't bend his red fingers to hold it right. The boy ran away and went on where he didn't know. He was ready to cry again, but he was afraid and ran on and on and blew his fingers. And he was miserable because he felt suddenly so lonely and terrified. And all at once, mercy was on us. What was this again? People were standing in a crowd admiring. Behind the glass window, there were three little dolls dressed in red and green dresses and exactly as though they were alive. One was a little old man sitting and playing a big violin. The others were standing close by and playing little violins and nodding in time and looking at one another and their lips moved. They were speaking, actually speaking. One only couldn't hear through the glass. And at first the boy thought they were alive and when he grasped that they were dolls, he laughed. He had never seen such dolls before and had no idea there were such dolls. All at once he fancied that someone caught at him smoke behind. A wicked big boy was standing behind him and suddenly hit him on the head, snatched off his hat, cap and tripped him up. The boy fell down on the ground. At once there was a shout, he was numb with fright, he jumped up and ran away. He ran and not knowing where he was going, ran in at the gate of someone's courtyard and sat down behind a stack of wood. They won't find me here, besides it's dark. He sat huddled up and was breathless from fright. And all at once, quite suddenly, he felt so happy. His hands and feet suddenly left off aching and grew so warm, as warm as though he was on a stove. Then all he, sh he shivered all over. Then he gave a start. Why? He must have been asleep. How nice to have a sleep here. I'll sit here a little and go and look for the dolls again, said the boy, and smiled thinking of them just as though they were alive. And suddenly he heard his mother singing over to him. Mommy, I'm asleep. How nice it is to sleep here. Come to my Christmas tree, little one, a soft voice suddenly whispered over his head. He thought that this was still his mother, but no, it was not she. Who it was calling him? He couldn't see, but someone bent over him and all at once, oh, what a bright light. Oh, what a Christmas tree. And yet it was not a fir tree. He had never seen a tree like that. Where was he now? Everything was bright and shining, and all around him were dolls. But no, they were not dolls. They were little boys and girls, only so bright and shining. They all came flying around him. They all kissed him, took him, and carried him along with them. And he was flying himself, and he saw that his mother was looking at him and laughing joyfully. Mommy, mommy, oh, how nice it is here, mommy. And again, he kissed the children and wanted to tell them at once of those dolls in the shop windows. Who are you, boys? Who are you girls? He asked, laughing and admiring them. This is Christ's Christmas tree, they answered. Christ always had a Christmas tree on this day for the little children who have no tree of their own. And he found out that all these boys and girls were children just like himself, that some had been frozen in the baskets in which that they had as babies been laid on the doorsteps of well-to-do Petersburg people. Others had been boarded out with Finnish women by the foundlings and had been suffocated. Others had died in their starved mother's breasts in the Samara famine. Others had died in the third-class railway carriages from the foul air. And yet they were all here. They were all like angels about Christmas. And he was in the midst of them and held out his hand to them and blessed them and their sinful mothers. And the mothers of these children stood on the side weeping. Each one knew her boy or girl. And the children flew up to them and kissed them and wiped away, wiped away their tears with their little hands and begged them not to weep because they were so happy. And down below in the morning, the porter found the little dead body of the frozen child on the wood stack. They sought out his mother too. She had died before him. 
they met before the Lord Gordon, Gordon happened. Why have I made up such a story? So out of keeping with an ordinary diary and the writers above all. And I promised two stories dealing with real events. But that is just it. I keep fancying that all this may have really happened. That is what took place in the cellar and on the woodstack. But as for the Christ's Christmas tree, I cannot tell you whether that could have happened or not. The end. Wow. That's pretty epic. <laughs> Merry Christmas, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I just really like how... You know, most of the stories of Christmas week, they're just so joyful um, mm -hmm. because Christmas is miraculous, right? And Dostoevsky just, in that one sentence, just shows how there's nothing miraculous, there's no, nothing joyful at all for so many people. And I guess that's what we talk mostly about on the podcast through, through all the seasons. Yeah, but I think it, it also is like, a, it's a social critique, but it also shows like or to, speaks to shared humanity and like like goodness and you know the value of like seeing each other as mm. having a or like having a commitment to each other you know the way that the, 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 the way right. that the children do but also it shows like in society the disconnectedness and people like having enjoying their own little bubble and not wanting it to be have any intrusion from people who are going to like put a bring the spirit down like when they're enjoying themselves right yeah well for, because they're other right they're not like us so we cannot afford breaking the bubble wow how to follow how to follow that now that you're suitably depressed, I mean, come on, read this. I mean, I could, I primary could tell, school, you I could, know. I could tell some jokes. Dostoevsky <laughs> <laughs> can't depress us. Elon Musk definitely can, right? So that's true, very much so. I mean, he, like, if anybody was able to like kill a platform, I mean, he's doing a good job with the old Twitter, right? He's trying really hard, yeah. I, I am really impressed, I know. Okay, here's a joke for you. <clears throat> Pretty bad. It's a Toy Story joke. <laughs> okay. Buzz, why in tarnation did you shoot the spaghetti? Woody exclaimed. Buzz leaned back with a satisfied smile. Wasn't up to my standards, he commented. What do you mean, Woody replied? Flavors were off. You've had spaghetti? It's a space ranger specialty in all emergency ration kits. And given how many emergencies I get involved in, I know a lot about good spaghetti sauce. So Buzz, what was wrong with it? This is bad. I have to say it right. Needed more. Oregano. I'm sorry. Reagan? Oregano? <laughs> oh my goodness. I... Wow. Jason won that. Did. <laughs> That's embarrassing. I'm <laughs> not sure what the appropriate reaction I think we just I think we should just move on from that one if it's possible 
we do we just kind right. of we just forget about this right and, uh, let's forget about that joke but unfortunately um, it's like it's gonna be stored on youtube for all eternity forever okay listen so i have a some things i want to read okay. <laughs> Deb, Deb just came to the windows like washing the windows like over here to the side <laughs> okay so my present for you i have a couple of things i want to read and it's kind of connected because i think there was like notes of hope in your story about about like friendship and solidarity especially among people who are oppressed right and so this first part is from this book, Anamkara, John O'Donohue. Pretty cool book. And the, in chapter one, it starts off, it's titled The Mystery of Friendship. Okay, and I'm quoting now. Light is generous. If you've ever had occasion to be out early in the morning before the dawn breaks, you will have noticed that the darkest time of night is immediately before dawn. The darkness deepens and becomes more anonymous. If you had never been to the world and never known what a day was, you couldn't possibly imagine how the darkness breaks, how the mystery and color of a new day arrives. Light is incredibly generous, but also gentle. When you attend to the way the dawn comes, you can learn how light can coax the dark. The first fingers of light appear on the horizon, ever so deftly and gradually. They pull the mantle of darkness away from the world. Quietly before you is a mystery of a new dawn, the new day. Emerson said, no one suspects the days to be gods. It's one of the tragedies of modern culture that we've lost touch with these primal thresholds of nature. The urbanization of modern life has succeeded in exiling us from this fecund kinship with our mother earth. Fashioned from the earth, we are souls in clay form. We need to remain in rhythm with our inner clay voice and longing. Yet this voice is no longer audible in the modern world. We're not even aware of our loss. Consequently, the pain of our spiritual exile is more intense in being largely unintelligible. The world rests in the night. Trees, mountains, fields, and faces are released from the prison of shape and the burden of exposure. Each thing creeps back into its own nature within the shelter of the dark. Darkness is the ancient womb. Nighttime is womb time. Our souls come out to play. The darkness absolves everything. The struggle for identity and oppression fall away. We rest in the night. The dawn is a refreshing time, a time of possibility and promise. All the elements of nature, stones, fields, rivers, and animals are suddenly there new in the fresh dawn light. Just as darkness brings rest and release, so the dawn brings awakening and revival. In our mediocrity and distraction, we forget that we are privileged to live in a wondrous universe. Each day, the dawn unveils the mystery of the universe. Dawn is the ultimate surprise. It awakens us to the immense thereness of nature. The wonderful, subtle color of the universe arises to clothe ev everything. This is captured in the phrase from William Blake, colors are the wounds of light. Colors bring out the depth of secret presence at the heart of nature. So that's the first thing. And that's so beautiful. It is. And I'm gonna yeah. come back to, to John Donahue, but what made me think of that book that I've read before was I was reading Thich Nhat Hanh and the book Pieces Every Step. And he was talking in there about smiling. And Deb and I were talking about this as well, about like how smiling activates like a physical, like a biological response when you smile. Yeah. And anyway, I want to read this, this segment from Pieces Every Step called The Dandelion, 
the dandelion has my smile. Okay, and I quote, if a child smiles, if an adult smiles, that is very important. If in our daily lives we can smile, if we can be peaceful and happy, not only we, but everyone will profit from it. If we really know how to live, what better way to start the day than with a smile? Our smile affirms our awareness and determination to live in peace and joy. The source of a true smile is an awakened mind. How can you remember to smile when you wake up? You might hang a reminder, such as a branch, a leaf, a painting, or some inspiring words in your window or from the ceiling above your bed, so that you notice it when you wake up. Once you develop the practice of smiling, you might not need a reminder. You'll smile as soon as you hear a bird sing or see the sunlight streaming through the window. Smiling helps you approach the day with gentleness and understanding. When I see someone smile, I know immediately that he or she is dwelling in awareness. This half smile, how many artists have labored to bring it to the lips of countless statues and paintings? I'm sure the same smile must have been on the faces of the sculptors and painters as they were. Can you imagine an angry painter giving birth to such a smile? Mona Lisa's smile is light, just a hint of a smile. Yet even a smile like that is enough to relax all the muscles in our face, to banish all worries and fatigue. A tiny bud of a smile on our lips nourishes awareness and calms us miraculously. It returns us to the peace we thought we'd lost. Our smile will bring happiness to us and those around us. Even if we spend a lot of money on gifts for everyone in our family, nothing we buy could give them as much happiness as the gift of our awareness, our smile. And this precious gift costs nothing. At the end of a retreat in California, a friend wrote this poem. I have lost my smile, but don't worry. The dandelion has it. If you've lost your smile, yet are still capable of seeing that a dandelion is keeping it for you, the situation is not too bad. You still have enough mindfulness to see that the smile is there. You only need to breathe consciously one or two times and you will recover your smile. The dandelion is one member of your community of friends. It is there quite faithful, keeping your smile for you. In fact, everything around you is keeping your smile for you. You don't need to feel isolated. You only have to open yourself to the support that is all around you and in you. Like the friend who saw that her smile was being kept by the dandelion, you can breathe in awareness and your smile will return. That is so cool. It is. I love Thich Nhat Hanh. I absolutely love this. And so I want to finish this with a, another bit from John O'Donoghue about friendship and love, which is pretty cool. So this is called Love as Ancient Recognition. And I quote, real friendship or love is not manufactured or achieved. Friendship is always an act of recognition. This metaphor of friendship can be grounded in the clay nature of the human body. When you find the person you love, an act of ancient recognition bring, brings you together. It's as if millions of years before the silence of nature broke, his or her clay and your clay lay side by side. Then in the turning of the seasons, your one clay divided and separated. You began to rise as distinct clay forms, each has in a different individuality and destiny. Without even knowing it, your secret memory mourned your loss of each other. While your clay selves wandered for thousands of years through the universe, your longing for each other never faded. This metaphor helps to explain how in the moment of friendship, how in the moment of friendship, two souls suddenly recognize each other. It could be a meeting on the street or at a party, a lecture, or just a simple banal introduction. Then suddenly there's a flash of recognition and the embers of kinship glow. There's an awakening between you, a sense of ancient knowing. Love opens the door of ancient recognition and you enter. You come home to each other at last. 
as Euripides says, two friends, one soul. In the classical tradition, this is wonderfully expressed in Plato's magical dialogue on the nature of love, the Symposium. Plato adverts to the myth that humans in the beginning were not single individuals. Each person was two selves in one. Then they became separated. Consequently, you spend your life looking for your other half. Then you find and discover each other. It is through, sorry, when you find and discover each other, it is through this act of profound recognition. In friendship, an ancient circle closes. That which is ancient between you will mind you, shelter you, and hold you together. When two people fall in love, each comes out in the loneliness of exile, home to the one house of belonging. At weddings, it's appropriate to acknowledge the gracious destiny that enabled this couple to recognize each other when they met. Each recognize the other as the one in whom their heart should be at home. Love should never be a burden, for there is more between you than your mutual presence. And so, yeah, I just wanted to share that. I think it kind of complements the uh, the previous story, which was really tragic. And I think this one is like more hopeful, but both speak to to like mutual like dependency interdependency and friendship and real like real love and commitment to each other which I think we always come back to at this time of the year when we think about like the true meaning of Christmas right I think that's on our bingo card (laughs) is it our bingo card (laughs) yeah or at least you know kind of I guess hoping for um this Christmas miracle, right? That is love, and I mean, uh, to- talking of Christmas miracles and love, actually, right? And Hugh Grant, who doesn't want that? Yeah, Christmas? <laughs> <laughs> you might have to. Who doesn't? I, I don't um, know if my kids have seen that ever. I don't know if they should. <laughs> absolutely, yes and no. It's one of the worst movies ever, but also it's brilliant. Yes, my brother-in-law and me force the family to watch it every year nobody watches it with us <laughs> just two of us watching it everybody just has to leave the room it's so bad really? it's also so good right yeah it is a terrible it is a terrible movie yeah do you have does anyone get drunk when you watch the movie <laughs> Do you have any stories about people getting drunk? Well, I'm, well, I'm just trying to get a, a bingo line. <laughs> to get, to get. I mean, guests who get drunk usually, which family members, um, you know, no, no, um, no points for guessing, Jason. <laughs> um, you, comrade. Never me. No, I. You know, known for my best behavior, right? <laughs> Always. Indeed, indeed. Yeah, not during watching Love Actually. Perhaps it's like Paddington or mm. I don't know. And then it all gets, you know, awkward. Paddington, it? yeah. Paddington is the best. That's a good Christmas movie. Yeah. So let me see. I, Where are we? I, I do have another one I want to share. Do you have any other things? We have like, we should probably wrap up in five or 10 minutes. I've got a game for you. Okay, go which on. Which is an amazing Christmas game. Do you want to play a game? Yes, I do want to play a game. Okay. So, you know, last year I was super impressed by you telling me about different academic papers that covered Christmas and consumerism, right? That yeah, I was so impressed. I was like, right, wow. And so I decided to have a look at what other Christmas-related research is out there. So apparently the most researched Christmas-related themes are the meaning of Christmas, an association between Christmas traditions and reinforcing social ties, you know, mutuality. Okay. The meaning of Santa Claus and the role of magic in Christmas celebrations. 
And then from consumer behavior, the research usually looks at social meaning that consumers ascribe through the consumption rituals of Christmas as well as on gendered roles of Christmas shopping. There's some interesting stuff out there from the 90s. But, but my favorite Christmas research was something that was carried out last year in 2021. So the British Medical Journal last year published a paper called, the name of the paper is Ghost in the Machine or Monkey with a Typewriter, Generating Titles for Christmas Research Articles Using Artificial Intelligence Observational Study. So the aim, the aim of the paper was basically to determine whether artificial intelligence can generate plausible and engaging titles for potential Christmas research articles for the British Medical Journal. So I'm going to read you various paper titles and you have yeah. to tell me whether it was generated by an AI or by, you know, human academics or authors. Um, okay. Right? Let's do it. Ready? Yeah. Ready. Okay. Title number one, being right or being happy, pilot study. Being right or being happy, human. Correct, it's human. Okay, second title. The association between belief in conspiracy theories and the willingness to receive vaccination. Is that the Christmas research? Yeah. <laughs> AI. AI, oh God, you're good at this. Okay, next. The effects of free gourmet coffee on emergency department waiting time, an observational study. <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. So two me. out of three. Yeah. Uh, number four, physician mother's experience of workplace discrimination, a qualitative analysis. What was the start of that? Physician mother's experience, physician... mother's experience of workplace discrimination. AI. Real. <laughs> so oh my goodness. Okay, number five. A to Z of the worst excuses for not revisiting, revising for exams. A to Z of the worst excuses for not revising for exams. For exams. AI. AI, correct. Next one. Black medicine, an observational study of doctors' coffee purchasing patterns at work. Coffee purchasing patterns at work. Human, correct. Level of the fattest, an observational study of obesity and morbidity in the general practice research database. Uh, AI? AI, correct. You're really good with AI, wow. Coffee consumption and caffeine withdrawal in academic life. Retrospective observational study. Retrospective, so it's just somebody like re reflecting on their failures. Uh, human. AI. Okay, mm. a couple of more. Morphology and size of stem cells from mouse and whale, observational study. <laughs> mouse and whales? Yeah. Uh, AI. That's a real one. Wow. Patient mortality after surgery on the surgeon's birthday, observational study. <laughs> <laughs> Human. That, that is human. And the final one, Christmas, national holidays, sport events, and the time factors as triggers of acute myocardial infections. Sweden has observational study from 1998 to 2013. 
I was going to say human. It's crazy. That is correct. You're, you've done great. Like You've got most of them. I'm impressed. I was a complete failure. But basically what this research found is that the AI generated titles overall rated as having less scientific or educational merit than the real controls. And mm -hmm. this difference, however, became non-significant when humans curated the AI output. Just tweak it. So you take the output and yeah. Yeah. And then you cool. just kind of, yeah, you control it and then it becomes real. So maybe next year AI will write all the papers for us. I think you might be onto something. Yeah. So next Christmas <laughs> special is by AI, which by I don't know, AI. would they generate better jokes? Might generate, they definitely <laughs> generate better jokes. Okay, um, fine. Final joke for you then. I have a selection. Bring it, bring it on. This bring one. it on. Go on. Why is a food a good Christmas present? I don't know. Tell me. <laughs> because it makes a good stocking filler. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. I like that. Okay. Uh, I keep a b case of beer. I can't even read. <laughs> So I mean, I mean, we, we know that from this season, we know that. We, yeah, we know that we both can't read scripts. Okay, here, here it comes. I'm going to read it. I keep a case of beer stashed away in my basement in case of emergencies. Better safe than sober. <laughs> terrible, right? Terrible. This is a terrible joke. I so mean... Bad. Do, do not do this to your family at Christmas, okay? Just get it out of your system now. And <laughs> Yeah. Do you know that the other day, cool story, this, like last week, I went to an outing with the school, so I was being chaperoned, if I told you that, we went, went skating. And it wasn't ice skating, it was skating like on the, with blades and roller skates. So I ah, ended up okay. like, because I was like the only parent that went with the staff from the after school thing. And so I was one of the only like adult skaters and it was just like, like a hundred kids like falling. And so <laughs> I was just like, <laughs> like almost nobody knew how to skate. So I was just going around trying to help people skate and Eli was there. So I was trying to help him too, but reminded me of like being a kid and learning to skate on ice. And in Chicago, anybody from over here, like up North probably has similar experiences, but they used to like freeze kind of car yeah. parks and make skating rinks and we used to also skate on the lake up there but the problem with living up there like in a in that kind of climate is just like all the slipping on ice you yeah. wouldn't you wouldn't do too well on, on ice would you i mean i'm absolutely not but you know growing up in a climate where there's like perpetual ice was perpetually the person sitting you know in the kind of oh, on the bum <laughs> perpetually slipped on ice, especially like after a storm, you know, when you cannot see the ice, so you just sleep and then you just see them in snow. It's great. It's a good childhood. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to, I've almost got a bingo. How are you doing with bingo? I'm two thirds there, I think. I, I have a line, but I'm trying to work in epistemological nonsense and it's not, I can't find a, I can't find an angle. <laughs> Oh, wow. Other, I mean, otherwise, I have a line. It was probably, you know, decided in the 1970s. That... There's a few hard, there's a few difficult. Like what I went for was like putting in some quotes, like from some of our work that are, that are hard to use. Yeah, quasi-imperialist, like that.
Quasi Imperialist remains my favorite, yeah. as is the meme in which we use it. Talking of, actually, we should really do more memes in you know in in our next writing schedule, so to say. It'll be fun, right? Forget the definitely it definitely would. So we we need to wrap up, I think, but I just wanted to share yeah. this article that I find, which is kind of cool before we leave. Let's see if I can find that. Here we go. Screen two. Oh, okay. So this is from like a year ago, but it's a super cool article. And it's in true fact, but it's basically like showing in the States, we've been recording the season eight and talking a lot about solidarity. And sometimes those conversations come around to mutual mm-hmm. aid, right? And so obviously there's like this tension between charity and mutual aid and i think we've talked in we're going to talk in season eight about like how mutual aid is kind of co-opted in into charity sometimes but i think this article shows like how lots of organizations in the states and this is replicated around the world are really making efforts to step in where the state is not present or has abandoned people stepping in and attending to people's needs and caring and building other systems of support and care for each other. And so, yeah, we can't really get into it, but there's lots of great organizations listed here. The article is called Organizers are Building Solidarity Through Holiday Mutual Aid Work. And there's so many good stories in here that I just wanted to, That's super. to mention if anybody would like to look deeper into that. And it does a pretty good job of talking about the difference between mutual aid and charity. Because most of the stories you hear, like when you go looking for stories of like Christmas stories, a lot of them are very much about charity. And um, I think it brings us back to that story where, you know, a lot of people enjoying their own little bubble are pretty comfortable with the idea of charity but not mutual aid as we understand it. No, and not solidarity. And that is the problem. So I guess for this festive season and for the next year, hopefully, uh, there will be more solidarity. There will be more love, more care. Take care. See you next year. See you next year.